Supernatural in Central Florida. It's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 460th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we're going to another castle. Nice. One of these days, we're going to get to an actual real castle and get to explore these places. This one is in Scotland, which, of course, makes us think of one of our favorite shows, Outlander. Yes, it does. This one is Tullock Castle. It was suggested probably about three or four years ago, and I hope I say this last name right, by Floyd Durker. He also shared an experience that he had while staying there. And then stay tuned for after that, because Kelly and I went to... St. Augustine for Halloween, we met up with one of our listeners, Bailey, and we did a little bit of investigating while we were there. We think we might have caught a little bit of evidence, so we'll share it with you guys and see what you think. Before we get into that, we want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Jennifer, Rebecca, The Weird Files, Nancy, and drumroll please, our our son, Jared. (laughs) Welcome to the Spooktacular crew, everyone. And now this moment, Noddity. doesn't love a nice warm slice of freshly baked bread smothered with a tab of butter. And most of our listeners are familiar with a certain galactic Star Wars movie smuggler by the name of Han Solo. Well, what about combining a love of bread with that oh-so-famous movie character? That's exactly what a San Francisco bakery did. One House Bakery, located in Benicia, California, created a life-size replica of Solo during his carbonite freeze, which he was encased in by Darth Vader. The mother-daughter bakery duo lovingly dubbed their creation Pan Solo, or Pawn Solo. Their creation consists of two types of breads. One which is a yeastless dough, which holds its shape without rising, and the second which uses extra sugar to aid in the bread statue's longevity during the fall season. The ladies work tirelessly at night after their bakery's closing every day. Their family is deeply inspired by their love of baking and the sci-fi universe as they have previously displayed with a baking creation featuring the Mandalorian and the child. One thing, however, is for certain, no matter how delicious freshly baked bread is, creating statues out of it certainly is odd. This history podcast is haunted. And now, this month in history. of November on the 22nd, 1947, Portuguese explorer Vasco da Gama became the first to sail around the Cape of Good Hope. 
The exploration's purpose was to attempt to send a fleet to India to open the sea route to Asia for future trading. At the time that the expedition was assigned to da Gama, he had very little relative experience. The fleet consisted of four vessels, and on board were three interpreters, two who spoke Arabic and one who spoke several Bantu dialects. Portions of his route included the Canary Islands and Santiago, located in the Cape Verde Islands. On November 7th, the fleet arrived at Santa Helena Bay in South Africa. However, the actual navigation of the Cape of Good Hope was postponed due to winds and opposing currents, which delayed their rounding until November 22nd. Once arriving in Masul Bay, three days later, da Gama erected a stone pillar known as Padro to mark the country's discovery, although the location was not technically discovered by da Gama. For some societies, Vasco da Gama is considered a hero for opening up the trade route. Others, however, see him as a tyrant due to the fighting that occurred in Africa during his expedition, and India's receiving of trinkets in exchange for their highly valued spices. Built over 850 years ago, Tullet Castle boasts a long history. This was a home of barons for centuries and eventually served as a hospital during World War II, a hostel and dormitory, and finally as a hotel where you can stay today. There have been scandals and deaths, and now the Green Lady has made this her domain. And there may be a few other spirits haunting the halls. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of Tullet Castle. I just want to say we heard a lot of different pronunciations for this castle. Tulich, 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 Tulach, Tulach. <laughs> so we're going with Tulich. If that is not right, we apologize now. Scotland was an area ruled by clans. This is a fascinating part of Scotland's heritage. There are 500 clans that today have spread all across the world. Many members of a clan were born into that clan and were direct descendants from a chieftain but there were several who were invited to be a part of a clan. The names of clans today are anglicized forms from many languages, including Norman, French, and Gaelic. The Macphersons, for example, translates to Son of the Parson, which in Gaelic is Macphersane. Listeners are probably familiar with clans having their own mix of colored tartan from which they make kilts to identify members. The Dingwalls of Kildon were vassals of the Earl of Ross and also seps of the Clan Monroe, which was a Scottish clan of the Scottish Highlands. Kelly, do you know what a sept is? I have no idea. I didn't, so of course I looked it up. A sept is a large and powerful family within a clan. While Dingwall is a Scottish surname, it is of Viking origin. Tullet Castle is in Dingwall, and this area was originally settled by Viking invaders. Dingwall is derived from the Scandinavian Dingvallia. I think it's D-I-N-G-V-O-L-L-R, and it has the little dots above the O. 
meaning field of counsel or court of justice, or place of the local assembly, and eventually became Thingvolier, which became Tingwall and then Dingwall. Dingwall was an important place in the Highlands' history and leadership, clearly because it was called the field of counsel, so everybody would come from all around to meet here. Dingwall was founded as a royal burgh in 1226 under a charter granted by King Alexander II. Alexander was knighted at the age of 13 and became King of Scotland when he was just 16 years old. Even before a town was founded here, Tullock Castle was erected. Most historians believe that parts of it date to 1166. These original parts are the southwest corner and tower. The castle would not take on the name Tullock until 1507. The name is derived from the Gaelic word hillock, which is T-U-I-C-H. The castle is considered the birthplace of Clan Davidson, but the Bain family had ownership first. Duncan Bain was granted a charter of lands around the castle in 1542, and the castle passed down through the family until the 8th Laird and 5th Baron of Tullock, Kenneth Bain, sold the estate to his cousin Henry Davidson in 1762. This started 155 years of Davidson ownership. Henry's brother Duncan Davidson inherited the castle when Henry died in 1781. It passed on to another Henry, then another Duncan, and another Duncan, and then the final Davidson owner, yes, Duncan again. They really liked that (laughs) name. (laughs) This final Duncan was the 11th Baron of Tullock, and when he died in 1917, his daughter and her son, Colonel Angus Vickers, took over the barony and castle ownership. During all these years, the castle was added to, but there was never a real effort to restore the castle, and by 1917, it was in a state of disrepair, which the vicars would rectify. A fire in 1845 had damaged the castle. They were going to have to repair a lot of that still, too. Architect Sir Robert Lorimer designed alterations to be made while restoring the castle in the early 1920s. During World War II, casualties from Dunkirk were brought to the castle, which had been transformed into a hospital. I couldn't find a whole lot of information on that, so it's not verified that that was the case. And I have no idea if people died here or might have been buried here, too. I'm not sure. The local education authority bought the castle in 1957 and used it as a dormitory for students of the Dingwall Academy until 1976. Wouldn't that be cool to get to stay in a castle as your dorm? Heck yeah. The castle once again fell into disrepair and was renovated by the Macaulay family in 1996 and opened as a hotel, which is what it remains today. There are 22 rooms for rent and it is pet friendly, Kelly. Awesome. We can have our dogs. They just said they can't come into the restaurant. Rooms feature some period pieces and as the website states, all of the rooms have their own unique character and personality with sumptuous fabrics, soft furnishings and stunning paintings and mirrors. Stay away from those mirrors and castles. Not good. (laughs) People rave about their haggis and black pudding. Kelly, do you know what black pudding is? Isn't it made with blood? (laughs) You knew better than me because I had no idea. You want to come down a rabbit hole with me? Sure. Here we go. Hello? Hello? Yes, I'm down here in the rabbit hole and I've brought you with me. Now, when they use the word pudding here, it isn't that creamy dessert stuff that we all think of. Vanilla chocolate, which is my absolute favorite, or you can get a swirl of the two, too. But rather, this is sausage. Who calls sausage pudding? Not me. (laughs) The word comes from the French boudin, which is Latin botellus. I don't know how you get botellus and boudin, but okay. Meaning small sausage. And this isn't any sausage. Like Kelly said, it is blood sausage, generally made from pork or beef blood with pork fat or beef suet and a cereal, usually oatmeal 
oat groats or barley groats. What makes this black pudding is the high proportion of cereal and the herb pennyroyal. Sounds delicious, doesn't it, Kelly? I'll usually give just about anything a try, but I don't know that I would be very into this. (laughs) I'd try it if you didn't tell me what it was ahead of time. And then a lot of people probably have heard of haggis. This is a very Scottish thing. Haggis is also a pudding, which is not a pudding, and it's savory. This contains sheep's pluck, which is heart, liver, and lungs, minced with onion, oatmeal, suet, spices, and salt, mixed with stock, and cooked while traditionally encased in the animal's stomach or some other kind of casing, which is what they do today. Well, it's not putting to you, but it's putting to other nationalities. (laughs) And I know people rave about haggis. One time they were doing the food festival at Epcot and in the Scottish booth, they had vegetarian haggis. So I told everybody, hey, we tried vegetarian haggis. And they were like, the hell are you talking about? You can't have vegetarian (laughs) haggis. And I can see why. I'd rather have vegetarian haggis. I don't do innards. All right. How are we getting out of this rabbit hole? Uh, Look, it's a line of sausages. We can climb up. We're going to climb up the black pudding. (laughs) You first. It's a little slippery. Tillet Castle has all the fun features we love about castles. There's an altered tower of three stories that dates to the early 16th century, and the parapet and corbeline of the tower are more recent additions, as is the cap house. The windows have been enlarged over time, except for the gun loops. So you can still shoot arrows out of those ones. There you go. (laughs) In the 17th century, a large gabled extension was added that had two stories and an attic with carved dormer pediments. There's also a 250-year-old paneled great hall with paintings of former owners, a dungeon, and a secret tunnel from the basement that leads to the other castle in town, Dingwall Castle. I love hidden corridors and so forth. Oh, I know. This one, unfortunately, is you're going to tell everybody. Oh, bummer. The tunnel has partially collapsed and can't be used anymore, but visitors can look down an air vent in the middle of the lawn and see part of the tunnel. (laughs) I guess be careful where you step. Yeah, no kidding. The castle has a restaurant called Turrets and serves up local Highlands produce and seven different types of marmalade and jam for breakfast. The ceilings are original and there are plenty of stone fireplaces and antique furnishings. There is even a cemetery here. Many of the Davidson family have been buried here. The cemetery is surrounded by a large metal fence and many of the headstones are crumbling and overgrown. But it would be cool to see. And it makes it all the more creepy, I guess. So one of the Duncans became the MP for Cromartyshire in Parliament starting in 1826 and served for two sessions until 1830. He loved to dress in full Highland attire and everyone called him the Stag. The nickname is quite fitting considering he married five times and had 18 children through those marriages, and possibly an additional 30 illegitimate children. My goodness. That stag got around. (laughs) And apparently the queen loved this guy, especially because he would always dress in that full Highland attire. I I don't know if she loved him in that way, though, (laughs) like all those other women apparently did. Hush your mouth. There's a story about the bronze seer who was known as Dark Kenneth. He lived during the 17th century and had second sight. Some historians claim he was just a creation of a folklorist, and he certainly was celebrated in Gaelic oral tradition. He got his nickname because he was connected to Bronn Castle near Dingwall. He would use an adder stone, this is a stone with a hole in the middle of it, to gaze into the future and make predictions. One of his prophecies claimed that a king would reign over Britain, but would not be crowned. 
This seems to have been fulfilled by Edward VIII, who abdicated the throne in 1936. So he did reign over Britain, but would not be crowned. Another prediction dealt with the stag. The bronze seer wrote, The day will come when there will be a laird of Tulloch, who will kill five wives in succession, but the fifth will kill him. Four of Duncan's wives did die. I don't believe that he killed them. But his fifth outlasted him when he died of pneumonia in Edinburgh in 1881. The most infamous ghost at Tollock Castle is connected to the stag. This is the Green Lady of Tollock Castle. The hotel's Green Lady bar is named for her, and she appears in a portrait that hangs in the Great Hall. She is pictured with her mother and two brothers, and there's a distinct area that is blackened because, as the story goes, her mother was sick of her husband's indiscretions and had him blacked out. (laughs) Who could blame her? (laughs) The Green Lady's name was Elizabeth Davidson, and she was one of Duncan's daughters. The story goes that Elizabeth walked in on her father having sex with a servant girl. She was rightfully upset and tore off down the hallway towards the stone stairs. She fell down the stairs, breaking most of her bones and snapping her neck. And now, the Green Lady has been haunting the castle in many ways. Her eyes in the portrait are said to follow people around the Great Hall. Elizabeth does have a haunting look in the picture, for sure. Her full-bodied apparition has appeared to guests on many occasions. In 2012, a teenage boy captured on camera what he believes is the ghost of the Green Lady descending the staircase. We'll put that picture up on Instagram, and it's pretty darn convincing. If you look at the banister there, Kelly, do you see the hand on it? I sure do. I mean, unless it's a double exposure, it looks like a hand and like a white kind of floaty mist that you can't see the rest of it. Right. It looks like it's taken from up above, and he's looking down on the stairwell. And to help people envision what these stairs look like. Now, I always saw them described as stone stairs. But when you look at the modern castle, it's one of those long wraparound stairways that goes up. So you can look down the three or four stories to the bottom. And because it wraps around, it's kind of like when you're watching those movies and somebody looks over the side and then they run up some more and then look over the side again. Right. I'm thinking that she went over the banister and fell to the ground rather than falling down the stairs. I don't think that there's stone here. They're carpeted. I'm not sure if it's carpet on stone. They could have been just plain stone at the time, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Even one flight of stairs going down something like that could still probably do some horrific damage. But there are some people who wonder if, uh, you know, this banister goes up fairly high. It would be kind of hard to go over it, especially if you're a kid. I mean, at least as an adult, it would kind of hit us at the waist. And did somebody throw her over? Oh. Maybe because she saw something she shouldn't have. Who knows? And what's interesting is I have no idea why they call her the Green Lady. It's not like she's seen in green. In this picture, she's looks like she's wearing something white. So I would have called her the Lady in White. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. Kelly, we've reached that time of the year. It's November. The days are getting darker. We don't have as much light. No more Halloween. But you know, there's a way to look on the bright side. What's that? That would be Sunbright Realty. For people who are looking to either sell their home or buy a home in Central Florida, you want Sunbright Realty as your team. Sunbright Realty LLC has over 20 years combined experience managing homes and real estate. Lou has a great group of people that he works with. They do a great job of getting your house ready and sold or showing you the house of your dreams and carrying you through that god-awful process of getting approved and getting the house closed. Yep, Sunbright Realty always has your back. For more information, check out sunbrightrealty.com. 
Com. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. There are other spirits here as well. Guests and staff claim to see orbs of light, feel cold spots in random places, and hear odd noises like bangs and thuds. The former dungeon is now a private dining room. How quaint. But there was once a 30-foot pit under where the table now sits that once held prisoners. It's believed that a man and a boy were incarcerated in the pit and left to die. And the former jail had only a 4-foot high ceiling and up to 100 prisoners were packed into the cramped space. There seems to be residual energy in these areas. The spirit of a maid or servant girl has been seen frantically pacing in the Great Hall and the Pink Room. Could this be the woman who had been with Elizabeth's father? Room 15 is said to be haunted. This room stands alone at the top of the staircase where Elizabeth fell to her death. People staying in here have reported doors slamming, knocks, thuds, disembodied footsteps, and whispering. Tracy visited in June of 2021, and she wrote, I had heard the castle was haunted and had purposefully booked room 15 and friends booked room 8. I was not to be disappointed. We heard footsteps, loud knocks on doors, whispering, shuffling. I had equipment activated and an audio recording of a child screaming. The most haunted location in the castle is said to be room 8. Anne McDonald was a manager at Tullock Castle Hotel in February of 2008, and she said, I'm not a coward and I don't scare easily, but I wouldn't sleep in room 8 for love nor money. The room has quite a reputation and we have people coming from all over to stay in it. It doesn't matter how much heating you have on, but when you go along that corridor, there's always a chill summer or winter. People frequently say that someone had been knocking at their door, but when they looked, there was nobody there. And we don't tell guests about room eight until they leave because we don't want to make them anxious. Paul Anderson from Kent wrote on TripAdvisor, As part of a dad's and lad's motorcycle tour of the Scottish Highlands, we decided to stay at Tullock Castle, a real castle for our two lads to experience. It is an amazing place, and if you want the traditional Scottish experience, this is it. Staff, food, and accommodations are all excellent. If you like spooks and ghosts, this is also the place. My cousin who was sharing the twin room with me felt as if someone was pressing on his chest. I was woken by him ranting in a deep voice. Not his voice. That's creepy. Yeah. After getting back to sleep, we were awoken again by tapping at the window. We were three floors up. Was it a vampire? (laughs) I keep seeing that kid floating in Salem's lot that was his vampire friend tapping on the window. Mm -hmm. There is something fishy about the place, but we were staying in room eight, which is notorious for such things. Apparently, a previous guest had had the same experience as my cousin. In any event, great castle, great food, great staff, if not a little on the spooky side. Our pictures seem to have the odd shape and figure in them. How would you know? Well worth the experience, though, and we would highly recommend the place. 
So your typical sleep paralysis coming from his cousin, except for the fact that he was speaking in a weird voice, too. Yeah, that's a little freaky. Yeah. And Floyd shared his experience at the castle. Now, for my experience at Tullet Castle four years ago, so this would have been probably in 2013, I think, I decided to take a trip to Northern Ireland and Scotland to see where my family was from. For about two weeks, I drove up one coast of Scotland and down the other. I was traveling from the weekend after Christmas through the first week of the new year. Sounds like a good time to be there. Most definitely. If you are not aware, this time period, I am told, is one of the quietest times in Scotland, as after Hogmanay, I think is how you say it, New Year's, families are still getting together and many shops and attractions take a break. I say this to point out that apart from the hotels in Glasgow and Edinburgh, everything was empty and I was often the only guest. About a week into my trip, I found myself staying in the town of Dingwall, which is located about 14 miles northwest of Inverness. I had chosen this location due to its proximity to Loch Ness and the site of Culloden, the final battle in the Jacobite Revolution. In Dingwall, there's a castle-turned-hotel called Tullet Castle. The castle has stood on the site since the 12th century. However, the current castle dates back to the mid-16th century. I need to take a minute to mention that this hotel is a fantastic place to stay. The staff was helpful and friendly, the restaurant and bar were fantastic, and the amenities were spectacular for the price. Now back to the main event. After checking in and getting my room key, I proceeded up the stairs to my room, room 9. So I wonder if that's next door to room 8. Upon getting settled, I sat down on the bed and started my normal hotel ritual of turning on the TV and reading the hotel directory thing. Like most, it was written in alphabetical order. A. Automobile Rental Agency. B. Banquet Services. C. Checkout, etc. Each with a title and description until I get to G. Ghost. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yes. And they do offer ghost tours at this location. At every single review that I read, it sounded like people went on the ghost tour and had a great time. I had to reread it a few times to get the whole thing. It read something like this. Tullet Castle has a number of resident spirits who have been known to make their presence known to staff and guests alike. If you would like to attend a ghost tour, please call the front desk and they will arrange it for you. I immediately got on my computer to start looking up the ghost stories and kept seeing something of the following. A guest from Edinburgh was visiting on business. After having dinner and a single drink at the hotel, mentioned to prove they had record that he wasn't intoxicated, he went to bed. He kept having a dream about these two young girls knocking on his door asking to see his dog. He tried to tell them that his dog was dead. The man then woke up to his room being freezing cold, so cold he could see his own breath. Wow. He managed to fall asleep again, but kept having the same dream. Eventually, he woke up and noticed the two girls in the room with him. He felt like he couldn't move and the girls were suffocating him. He managed to grab the phone so that he could call the receptionist who came to help him, gave him a drink, and walked him down to the reception area. The man explained the girls in such detail that the receptionist went white. She grabbed the man's hand and led him to the oak room, a banquet hall on the second floor adorned in oak paneling. There he was met by a painting of the Davidson family, and staring back at him were the two girls. So apparently Elizabeth's not the only one haunting the place. The man had been staying in room eight, next door to mine. I wondered. (laughs) It is next door. A little rattled, I called the front desk to schedule a tour and was told I would have to wait for the other receptionist who would be there the next day. The next evening, I had my tour by the other receptionist. We will call him Alan. Alan explained that he was a skeptic and really didn't believe in the paranormal, God, or an afterlife. He told us stories of dungeons, torture, and disembodied sounds, but it wasn't until we made our way into the oak room that things started to get strange. He told us the story of the one little girl in the painting and how after finding her father sleeping with one of his mistresses, she ran down the hall and fell or was pushed to her death. See, the tour also points out that maybe this girl didn't go over the railing by herself. Alan paused and said, I've seen stuff here that I can't explain. As a skeptic, I can't say what I think I saw because I just can't believe it. 
I see something nearly every day I work that really makes me question my beliefs. How is he still a skeptic every day? Ay, ay, ay. As he said this, I noticed an uneasy look on his face and realized that his concentration wasn't on me or the other guest on the tour. He ended the tour by saying, when you're staying here, just keep your eyes open because you never know what you will see. I approached him after the tour and I asked him if he saw anything tonight. He looked uncomfortable and said, maybe, with a shake in his voice. I asked if it was a little girl in a green dress with dark hair who was peeking around the corner during his talk. Okay, if Floyd is describing exactly what this guy probably saw, he must have seen it too. He went white and responded, so you saw her too. I just nodded my head and went back to my room. I know she followed me because I saw her peeking around the wall three other times on my way to the room. I didn't sleep that night. Wow. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. And it also answers my question about green dress. They say that she's seen in a green dress. So I don't know who the green lady in that picture that looks like she's wearing something white was. If it really is a legit picture, too. Anyway, sounds like a great location. It sure does. Many people have had experiences when staying at the hotel. With hundreds of years of history, it's not surprising that there might be spirits bumping around in the night. Is Tullock Castle haunted? That is for you to decide. Just another reason to check out Scotland. I mean, it has a lot of reasons to check it out, but here's another one. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Now, this was a little bit shorter because there wasn't a ton of information about the castle itself. So I thought this would be a good opportunity for us to throw in our experiences that we had in St. Augustine. We went there for Halloween, which I have to say, we thought it'd be a little bit more decorated for Halloween and stuff, but it was just pretty much like St. Augustine usually is on a typical day. Yeah, there really wasn't much going on that was any different than usual. Yeah, so I I was a little bit shocked about that because they really do Christmas up big there with lights and everything. We had a really good time. There was a group that it was their first year holding this event. So it takes a while for this stuff to get traction. But in the morning, we got to hear a talk from a professor from a university here in Florida who talked to us about pirates and privateers and their connection to Amelia Island, which is very close to St. Augustine. It was very fascinating. We really enjoyed that. So we met up with Bailey, who a lot of people on the Spooktacular crew probably know. And we had prayers going out to her and everything because she had a horrible car accident not long ago. So it was so nice to get to see her in person again. And so she was walking around with us and taking us around to some places. And we stopped in front of this place that was called the Prince of Wales Restaurant. And we've seen it before. We've never eaten there or anything. This is like a British pub, serves that kind of stuff, but it's been permanently closed. So right now it's not anything, even though it still has the credit card signs in the window (laughs) and a closed (laughs) sign. And this is actually known as Faye's House. And it's located at 54 Kuna Street. And it's, a, it's right there at the corner of Kuna and Spanish. It's a quaint little house. And we kept looking up at the windows that are up at the very top of it, because supposedly you see this woman looking out from there. And Bailey had thought that she'd heard a story that somebody had been murdered there. And so that's kind of the impression we were going with. But as I researched, I found out that it was actually an accident that happened here. But before we did that, we got to visit the oldest house in St. Augustine, which was very cool. I've been to St. Augustine many times and I've never gone through the oldest house. So it was neat to get to do that. This had been like a one story house when it first was put there. And then over the years, it became a two story. It had a tower added to it. It's gone from, you know, being a simple house that a bunch of people crammed into to a really fancy house that people traveled to see. Then a lot of that stuff was dismantled until it's what it is today, which is still a two-story home. 
but it shows you what the actual earlier homes there would have been built as. I think most people are aware that Coquina was something that they used to do a lot of the building in St. Augustine. It's why a lot of the buildings have survived and the fort has survived. Well, it was expensive to get that quarried. So if you didn't have a lot of money, you would get the shrapnel, I guess you could call it. Yeah, the rubble. The rubble. This house was built from Coquina rubble. So basically what they would do is stack that on top of itself and then plaster over it. And there were parts of the wall that were missing so you could see what the rubble looked like. And it looked like a bunch of Coquina rocks on top of each other. exactly. And right before we actually went through there, we came upon this plot of land that had once had a house on it. I cannot remember what the name of the house was that had been there. But what was still left behind was what looked like a fire pit or something. It was a really quiet street. So we're like, oh, let's get out the ghost tube app and see what happens. (laughs) See what pops up. Really interestingly, we got a couple of things that came through that we were like, wait a minute, what was that? It sounded like another language. And we're like, I think it was French. Yeah, it sounded French to me. So it sounded like twice. I think it was female, too, that we had twice a French female voice come through. So we're not sure what it said. But that was kind of cool. Well, yeah, especially considering there had been a lot of people who spoke French in the area. What I'm going to do now is tell you a little bit about Faye's house and the hauntings that are there. And then I'm going to share. We left a little bit earlier and Bailey stuck around and she went over to Faye's house and did a little investigating with the ghost tube. And she had some interesting stuff. So then I will share that with you guys. So first, let's talk about Faye, who had lived here. She was a resident of St. Augustine during the 1970s, and she worked at the St. George Street Pharmacy as a short-order cook. And it was much smaller, of course, St. Augustine back in the day. And she wasn't much of a socialite. As a matter of fact, nobody really cared for this woman because she was pretty bitter and very mean-spirited. And you'll kind of get that feeling from her later when you hear some of the stuff that Bailey caught. She was pretty much cruel to everyone she met. And she didn't take very good care of this house that she lived in. It had become run down and needed a lot of work done to it. She ended up having to call a repairman to get some of the stuff fixed. And the main thing she wanted him to focus on were the floorboards and the staircasings on the second floor. She felt that this repairman was very hapless, that he wasn't doing a good job. She was hovering, complaining, commenting. You know, you can just imagine this repair guy is like, lady, leave me alone and let me get my work done. She kept telling him that she knew more about carpentry than he did. Oh, my word. So finally, he was like, you know, do you want me to stay here and get this done or not? She got fed up with him and ran him off the property. She's like, get out of my house. She's bellowing at him. She's slamming doors. So the guy picks up his tools and he takes off. He runs out of the house and he starts down the street. And she decided she's going to go after him. Well, apparently, as the story goes, the hem of her dress got caught on a nail or something She's at the top of the second story, stairs, and down she goes, breaks her neck. This is a woman who nobody likes. Nobody visits her. So, as you can imagine, she laid at the bottom of the stairs for a few days dead. Until the mailman, who also didn't care for her much, comes by and goes, huh, something smells a little funny. Yeah. He recognized it as being decay, and he's like, it's coming from inside the house. There was a window that was slightly cracked, so he called the police. And indeed, they found her in a prone position at the base of the stairs, her hands outreached as if to grab at the front door that lay only inches away. So they said, oh, the wrath of Faye is finally over, except for now she's in the afterlife. And as we've said, a lot of people say, oh, that's a demon spirit, even though it's really probably somebody like Faye who is mean spirited in life that is still that way in the afterlife. Exactly. Well, the hauntings here started almost immediately. She had family members who had to come down and take care of the house. They decided to live there for a little bit. 
And they didn't stay long because they started noticing that the doors would open and close on their own. The windows would go up and down on their own and they were hearing a lot of weird noises. And they would sometimes smell with their nose picture decaying meat. Oh, my. Which we know is not decaying meat. (laughs) And sometimes a vague human figure would be observed standing behind the upstairs window. And that, when you go on ghost tours, is what you're going to be told a lot of the time, is that you will see her standing up in one of those second story windows glaring out at people. Now, a British couple bought the little house and they opened up the Prince of Wales restaurant and they decided to live up on the second story. They realized quite quickly that their house was part of a ghost tour. And, you know, they're trying to sleep at night and there's all these flashes and stuff going off as people are taking pictures of the house trying to catch the ghost in the window. So they asked the tour groups, please stop coming by our house. There were paranormal investigators that would set up equipment outside the house, you know, little privacy concerns here and stuff. Everybody had to start leaving the house alone. The owners didn't like to let anybody know that the place was haunted. So when people would ask, is the restaurant haunted? They were always like, nope, there's nothing going on here. They didn't promote it in any way, even though they were experiencing some of these strange events. And even strangers on the street would look up at the window and see somebody when they weren't at home and stuff. They did tell certain patrons over the years about some of the experiences that they had had. Apparently, the couple had been hearing peculiar sounds coming from the home after hours that couldn't be explained. There were bumps and thuds, especially coming from the stairwell, which I imagine sounded like maybe somebody falling down the stairs. They would also hear those sounds in the kitchen area, and on occasion, the lights would flicker, go on and off for no reason. And then they had a pet cat that would not, under any circumstances, go up the stairs. It lived on the first floor. It would not go up those stairs at all. Oh, interesting. Even if they picked the animal up and carried it to the second floor, it would race back downstairs and hide. The most common incident reported was the constant barrage of ghost sightings by people who were guests at the restaurant or outside of the house. And it was always this angry, middle-aged woman with this really unpleasant face and unkept hair being seen. She always had her arms crossed as if she was very disapproving. She just sounds lovely. Yeah, really lovely. And this has been reported since at least the late 1970s when Faye died. And they continue to this day. Although we didn't have the privilege, if you could call it a privilege, (laughs) of seeing Faye in any of the windows. Bailey thinks that she saw the clothes sign moving a little bit. One of the videos that she sent us, when we looked at it, I couldn't tell if it was maybe the reflection of the streetlight, you know, making... The sign looked like it was moving. There was also a big truck that went by, which could have shook. The street is narrow. It's an old house. It might have shaken the house a little bit, and that made the sign move a little bit. True. Uh, Back in July of 2011, a local ghost hunting group had the chance to investigate the restaurant, and they were able to set up inside after hours. They got EMF spikes. One team member experienced the bathroom lights going on and off as he entered the room. Because the lights are simple switch activated, the reasoning for such an occurrence remains a mystery. As their investigation culminated, they began to review their video recordings for evidence. What they found is quite interesting. They caught several images or shadow-like people walking behind the beer taps, and in one instance, something slowly moving near the countertop. There are several touring companies in town that boast of owning authentic photos of a ghostly face peering through the attic windows as well. So Bailey is outside of it taking video. As I said, we didn't really see much with that. But the interesting thing is she turned on the ghost tube and made a couple of recordings. And she's busy talking about, you know, she wanted to do a little investigating for us and that she was going to report back to us. Well, before she's saying all that, 
the ghost tube said report. Right. So it was like whatever it was, was understanding what she wanted to do. What I'm going to do is go ahead and play the audio here of Bailey explaining some of the stuff that happened. In it, she's going to mention two, I guess you could call them EVP or ghost box things, words that popped up on the ghost tube. The first one I think sounds like a different word, but the ghost tube actually tells you what it thinks the word is. Yeah, it types it out. And it says a different thing, and that's what Bailey got, and I'm not quite sure about that. And then the other one was really cool word. So here we go. Okay, so last night I was doing the questions, and my first just statement was telling the person who I was talking to uh, how I was trying to get some information for Diane and Kelly and I got report come has come through and then I was like yeah I'm gonna report to Diane and Kelly about you and tell them about you if that's okay and then I got blessed then I was just kind of being quiet and talking about the horrible tragedy that happened at the house just kind of out loud and the person who I was communicating with said knife actually mentioned knife oh knife actually mentioned knife oh knife 10 minutes later i got haunted and i was like oh is your house haunted so what i was trying to haunted what the okay um so are you saying your house that you once owned is haunted? I mean, I'm not sure who I'm talking to. So what I was trying to Haunted. Say, what the? And then I got be quiet when I was asking questions about if you can move the sign again or just show me some signs you're here. I got be quiet. And then when I asked if I could come back sometime, I, I got goodbye. So I was like, okay, I think it's time to go. I did see in one of the videos, you can hear me see, saying like, did you see that a uh, shadow pass by around the door? And in the when I watched the video again, it wasn't there, but there did seem to be in the, the same like route uh, that I saw the shadow go, there seems to be some sort of light ball, light anomaly go on the same route so I don't know about that and I couldn't get any of the shadows I saw or things moving or in the window so I couldn't catch any of those things I saw but when I first saw the closed sign was moving rapidly but and as you can see in my videos, only once you can see the closed sign moving inside. And I, there was a lot going on in that video, like cars going by and stuff. But you could tell it was moving because you could see the reflection of the shiny sign reflecting because it was like kind of going flapping, if that makes sense. And then it just abruptly stopped, but it wasn't going for long like it was before. And I also did not get this on video, but when I was asking questions right before I got haunted, I got some tapping on the window and it sounds like when you have your nails on, like if you have like long nails, it sounded like tapping your nails on a window, like the, like that kind of, I got that. 
all the things I saw on video, but I got like a few things, but not nearly as much as I actually did see. So I don't know. Kelly, that word knife, I thought it sounded like nice. Yeah, it's it's hard to say in terms of the pronunciation, but that would be what I would agree with as well. Yeah, and I mean, knife doesn't really make any sense because we don't have a murder that happened here. Obviously, there's some stories that are going around that there was murder there, but... Right, and who's to say whether it was something related to that home or if it was somebody just hanging around on the street. I sure. mean, St. Augustine is purportedly... The most Everywhere haunted. haunted. Si- yeah, the most haunted city. <laughs> For all we know, somebody got knifed there a couple hundred years ago. But I thought it was very cool that it said haunted. Yes. When she absolutely. was standing outside of the house. So just another one of the interesting haunted locations there. And thank you, Bailey, for sharing that with us. Yes. We'd love to have you all check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And if you'd like to send us some feedback, you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. Kelly, Jared pointed out to us in our Halloween episode, we talked about carving pumpkins and how at the beginning of the Halloween movies, they have the credits and there's a jack-o'-lantern. Yes. And he said, hey, fun fact you guys could have mentioned was Michael Myers' face is carved on it. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that, but that was a very cool fun fact. Absolutely. And then pertaining back to our recent episode about Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary, Alice saw our pictures up on Instagram and she said, I went here this summer. And so I asked her, oh, did you experience anything? And she said, actually, yes. I was standing outside the solitary confinement block reading a sign and quickly turned around because I thought my husband had given me a little pat on the butt. And we were with family. (laughs) Turns out he was about 20 feet behind me reading a different sign and no one was there. Well, what a fresh little spirit we are. (laughs) Somebody was getting frisky in the jail with her. Besides that, the moonshine was amazing. And I actually used it for a Halloween cocktail. Oh, nice. I didn't ask her what flavor she got because we heard it had all the different flavors and stuff. But I thought that was pretty cool. So thanks for sharing that, Alice. We want to thank you guys for joining us on this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to welcome into the cemetery, Joanna Hesser. We're going to be putting you in a garden crypt. In three months, you'll be getting your HGB logo mug. And then in a year, a logo t-shirt. Thank you so much for supporting History Goes Bump. We certainly appreciate it. Want to keep the spooks away? Give us a review.